Heavenly Father, thank You for this gorgeous day. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord, for this beautiful sunny day. And thank You that we have a place to come and worship You and to come together, Your children, to to fellowship and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You that uh, Your Word is true. Your anointing is powerful and breaks every yoke. Thank you for using me today. Thank you that this word will go into good ground and they will receive it and protect it and allow it to take root and bear fruit in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, folks, there are lots of ways, if you don't know, that uh, your faith will be tested in this life. Did you know that? (laughs) <laughs> okay. You got the pride test, the purity test. I think oh Robert Morris has a has a book out from Dream to Destiny. It's good if you never read it. But uh all these ten different tests, I think he goes through ten or twelve. But there's pride and purity all the way to purity and the palace test and all this stuff. But some of the testing, you know, God will make things he'll allow things to be easy for you sometimes, and there's a test in that. Sometimes things can be hard for for a season, and there's testing in that. What's really being tested is the word in you. Amen. God is a master builder. He describes himself <coughs> as the uh, the silversmith, you know, which is a beautiful imagery, you know, and he. He heats it up. He heats up these precious metals and all the dross comes to the top. And he scrapes all the dross off and then he heats it up again. Heats it up again until the dross all comes to the, the impurities, the imperfections. And, the, and he scrapes it off again. Seven times he does that. And what he's looking for is when he can see himself clearly, a reflection. Amen. Amen. And that's, uh, that's a description of what he's doing through this purification and testing of the word in us. And that's what the enemy comes after too, is to steal the word from you. He wants you dead, but he's coming to steal this word from you because this word is the power unto salvation. Amen? And he doesn't want you to know the truth. He wants you to watch CNN all day. That's his network. <laughs> all right, I better... Be serious here. But I believe that the hardest test that most of us will are likely to face and the one that we're least likely to pass is the test of success. Solomon warns us. He said, The end of a thing is better than the beginning and the patient in spirit better than the proud in spirit. That's Ecclesiastes 7, 8. And I'll read it again in the NIV. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Have I ever, how many of you ever known somebody that was good, at, for instance, at uh, hiring in, we used to say? <laughs> that boy's good at hiring in. But... He's good at getting the job, but he won't last long. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) That's what he's talking about here in a nutshell. Have you ever wanted something and you didn't pray about it? You didn't want to pray about it because you thought the answer might be no. (laughs) You didn't wait patiently for it. You had to have it when you wanted it and how you wanted it. And you just said, I'm doing this. I'm buying this. I'm not talking to anybody about it. I'm just doing it. Some of you say, well, that's all I've ever done. (laughs) Well, I want to tell you, if you want to move up to another level, you're going to have to first get rid of that devil. Amen. Or old me. So it's not how you start a race that matters. But how you finish. Hmm? Not how you start that makes you the winner. But it's how you finish it. 
You can relate this to your entire life. You can relate it to a single day. You can relate it to a goal or an objective. But it's not how you start out. My mama used to say, road to hell is paved with good intentions. (laughs) I never found that in the Bible, but the gist of it is. There was a preacher who once said, I've I've seen many people have good beginnings, but few have good endings. And the older I get, the more I see that I reluctantly have to agree that that is the case. Not that I'm speaking that over anyone or want it to be the case, but that's what I've seen to be true. And it's sad, of course. I want to look at some of the kings. I... You know, I try to read through the Bible all the time as much as I can. I'm always behind in my Bible reading, but I try to do it every 90 days and I have to push that goal back a day or two every week, right? But the Old Testament, it just brings out so much and there's some things that have been talking to me. But I want to look at the first three kings of Israel real quick and then I want to look at something else. But first, there was King Saul, right? You remember King Saul? There should have never been any kings in Israel. The people wouldn't have it any other way. They wanted to be like other nations when they had God. So anyway, it's another message. But first, there was Saul. King Saul was a fine physical specimen. He was strong and tall and handsome and he was gifted in that way. Those are gifts from God, you know. And there, those, there's another test in that, by the way. But uh, early in his reign, he did great. He, he had a lot of great military victories. But when God sent him out on a mission against the Amalekites, he allowed fear of the people. What they wanted and his own reasoning to keep him from full obedience to what God's command was. And his instructions on what to do and how to do it. I don't want to go into it because I'll stay on it too long. But as a result, it was bad. The prophet Samuel, who I love, he went to him with a message that God had rejected him as king. Saul's problem was, was summed up in Samuel's message. It's in 1 Samuel 15, verse 17. Samuel said, Although... He's talking to Saul. He said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. See, as long as Saul remained humble, God could bless him. But when he became proud, God had to set him aside. You know, the Bible says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, right? Says it more than once. Old and New Testament. In case you're one of those. But it applies to all of us. Just as much as it ever did to anyone in the Bible. That's why their stories are in here. For us. Amen. Bible. Basic instructions before leaving earth. (laughs) When we are little. Small. Or weak. Apart from God, in our own eyes, we have room for the greatness of God, you see. But when we become great in our own eyes, we leave no room for God to manifest His greatness through us. Saul's pride drove him to a tragic end. The last night of his life, he went and consulted a a spiritist, a, a witch. You call him what you want. Mediums, uh, you see them on these corners. And most of them try to disguise themselves as angels of light. You walk right in that door and you ask them, does this have anything to do with witchcraft or any of that stuff? The Bible says, oh no, no. They'll just lie. But trust me, that's, God hates that. We're not to mess with that stuff. Neither with horoscopes or any of that stuff that you go, oh, there's nothing, it's just good fun. You're not supposed to fool around with it. You're opening doors for the enemy. Okay? I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Well, he went and visited 
the spiritist or medium or whatever you want to call it, the next day he committed suicide on the battlefield. (laughs) Then came King David, right? Man after God's own heart. I love King David. I study his life because I love what God said about him. I want to be a man after God's own heart. I talk about it a lot, and the reasons why he was, and the fact that he wasn't perfect, but that he just, he loved God. And he had a great relationship with him. For, for years before he enjoyed real success, David had to live as a fugitive, even though he had already been ordained as king by the prophet. It didn't manifest for many years, and he lived like a fugitive, running from King Saul, who was demonized and he was persecuted and hounded by King Saul. But it all came uh, to an end and uh, he was victorious. Eventually he, he had a wonderful testimony. In Psalm 18, verses 20 and 21, he says, The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord... I'm not guilty of turning from my God. So things were looking great, right? Sounded great. He was in tune with God and God was blessing him. But later on, David changed and so did his his language. Listen to Psalm 51 a little later on, the first two verses. Have mercy on me. This is David again. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Prior to this, David had enjoyed total success. So why the change? What happened? Success changed him. Success changed him. He was finally established as king over all Israel. He had been... Very victorious over all of his enemies. He was enjoying his success. He decided he didn't even need to go out any longer with his armies to fight in battle. He would just stay home in Jerusalem and he was just enjoying the leisurely life. He was a big shot now. So he didn't hesitate to watch Bathsheba take a bath from his high palace. Or to send for her and to take her, even though she was the wife of his neighbor and one of his very loyal soldiers, Uriah. Then when she became pregnant from this, he he didn't hesitate to have Uriah murdered to cover up his sin. In David's time of success, he forgot the principles he lived by before he became king. Can you see that? Thank God that David did eventually repent and it was a beautiful thing. He got right down from his throne and and God forgave him his sin. Nevertheless, David's sin cast a dark shadow over his descendants from generation to generation. And God warned him. 2 Samuel 12 verse 10 says, now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me. See, the things that God did, I mean that David did, God took it personal against himself, you see. The harm he did, that, that, was, that was sin. You know, against, with Bathsheba, against Uriah. But God took it very personal. And he said, because you did that, you know, you killed, you killed this innocent man. A good man, the sword's never going to depart from your house. Now, thank God we have Jesus now. And we can repent and believe for some crop failure, can't we? (laughs) Regarding the curses, I mean. Generational curses, etc. We don't have to suffer those things. But we we can if we're not aware and we're not uh, educated about who we are and what we have. As children of God in the new covenant now. But you still see. God hasn't changed his opinion. Or his attitude. Or his mind about things like that. You see. 
We just have provision made for us because of God's mercy. Then came David's son Solomon. He was the the next king, wasn't he? He was beloved and chosen by God. Because he humbly acknowledged his need for God, his need for wisdom, he asked for a wise, for a discerning, or what is literally translated as we talked about in our teaching, a hearing heart that he could hear God clearly so that he could lead God's people. God loved that prayer, and because of it, he gave him that and also riches and honor. He became the wisest, richest, most famous of all Israel's kings. Yet, in spite of all of his wisdom, there's something that you may not know about Solomon. He failed the success test. First Kings chapter 11 verses 4 through 6. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites, So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. So in spite of all the wonderful things that God had done for Solomon, making him king out of all the mess which he came from, and making him the wisest and the richest man ever that ever was or ever will be, Solomon dishonored God and he died an idolater. Don't usually hear talk like that about Solomon. It's just sit here in the Bible. That's why I mention it. <laughs> After King Solomon died, the kingdom of was was divided into the north and the south. So you had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, right? And all the kings of Israel became idolaters, dishonored God, they were rejected by God. Many of the kings of Judah also turned away from the Lord into idolatry. But there were some righteous kings in Judah, but but none of them really passed the test of success. Just mention a couple of them. Hezekiah was one of them. Remember Hezekiah? He was a good king and he did some great things to honor the Lord and to bring the people back to uh, worshiping God. And God had delivered him and Jerusalem from a large Assyrian army that had Jerusalem surrounded. You remember that? One of the coolest things to show how powerful angels are. Second Kings 19, verse 35 and 37 through 37 says, That night, talking about the, when that, that army had them surrounded, and it looked like sure destruction and defeat. He said, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. One angel killed 185,000 men that night. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. And later on, when Hezekiah was sick and, and dying, he was on his deathbed, God not only healed him, but he granted him a miraculous sign because he wanted proof that God was going to do all these things. He said, so God granted him even that, and he reversed the course of the sun. He made the shadow go backwards instead of forwards. Pretty wild, huh? It's in 2 Kings chapter 20, if you want to read about that. I don't want to go there because I'll waste too much time. But he promised also, he gave Hezekiah 15 more years on his life. If he did it for one, he'll do it for another. Amen. God's miraculous sign with the sun and and these other things that he did for Hezekiah made him famous. And these ambassadors came from Babylon. And he liked their attention so much, he, he started believing his own press. And he started playing the big shot. He took them around. He showed them everything in his kingdom, even in the temple, all the riches, all the stuff. But he didn't give God the glory for any of it. 
Here's what the scripture says in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 25. But Hezekiah's heart was proud, and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore the Lord's wrath was on him, and on Judah, and Jerusalem. I look in that same 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31. Skip down like five or six verses. But when envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, God left him to test him and to see everything that was in his heart. So from King Hezekiah, we can learn a couple things. First, if God grants you some kind of a special miracle in your life, and thanks be to God that he does, I teach you that miracles are not God's best because miracles require a crisis and He'd rather live you, have you live in the blessed life instead of crisis to crisis. But when you need a miracle, it's good. <laughs> but if He grants you some kind of a special miracle, that doesn't make you a special person. It only means you have a special God. Now, let me qualify that. You are special. God has your picture in His wallet. He loves you because of Jesus. And everything that Jesus has been done because of your faith in Jesus, it's all been credited to your account. So yes, you're special, but not apart from the Lord. Right? God is no respecter of persons. He's just good. Amen? Alright. Let me drink of water here. The next thing about Hezekiah... If it feels like God ever withdraws His presence from you, it doesn't seem like He's actively working in your life. First of all, He didn't leave you. His promise is He'll never truly leave you or forsake you. It just might seem like it sometimes. You ever had times like that? (laughs) He's still there. But you might not hear Him clearly. I don't know, maybe I'm just the only one who's ever been through those seasons. But what it, it, can, it can be that He's testing you to see how you'll behave when you're left to yourself. I'm, I'm making sarcastic jokes in my head. I'm just got to stop. He wants the word to be tried in you, is what it is. He's not mad at you. He's looking for an opportunity to brag on you, his children. He wants you to come through the test shining like the sun. Sun or S-U-N or S-O-N. Either way, same difference. He wants that soulish realm to line up with what's already in your born-again spirit. And this is your opportunity to be tried and tested so you don't have to go round and round the mountain, you see? You don't get to fail any test with God. You just get to take it (laughs) again. So we're trying to grow and help each other to get it right. Because it's always for the good, for your good, and for the good of the kingdom of God. Amen. There was another good king, the last one I'll mention. He came along in Judah later on. His name was Josiah. He did some good things too regarding God. He destroyed some symbols of idolatry at Bethel in the northern kingdom. But like the others, his success made him self-confident. And he became rash. He didn't consult with God about some things. And one important thing was without consulting God, he went to, to battle. He went to war against the king of Egypt. And he shouldn't have because he had been given a solemn warning. He opposed a pharaoh named Nicho or Nacho or whatever. I think it's Nicho. He was the... And, and when he did, he was <laughs> he was killed in battle. 
<laughs> and be, when he was killed, the last flicker of hope for Judah died also. You see, there's always a rippling effect. Pride doesn't only affect us, but it affects those who love us and need us. Amen. Oh, me. Here's the account of Josiah. Second Chronicles 35, verses 20 and 21. After all this, when Josiah had set the temple in order, see, he'd done some good things, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Karshemish in the Euphrates. And Josiah marched out to meet him in battle. But Necho sent messengers to him saying, What quarrel is there, king of Judah, between you and me? It's not you I'm attacking at this time. He wasn't even fighting him. He wasn't coming to oppose him. He was going after somebody else. He says, not even you I'm attacking at this time, but the house with which I am at war. God has told me to hurry. So stop opposing God who is with me or he will destroy you. Verse 22, Josiah, however, would not turn away from him, but disguised himself to engage him in battle. He would not listen to what Nietzsche had said at God's command, but went to fight him on the plain of Megiddo. Archer shot King Josiah, and he told his officers, take me away, I'm badly wounded. So they took him out of his chariot, put him in his other chariot, and brought him to Jerusalem where he died. So, pride. <laughs> Got him. He even had to disguise himself to get this, this other king to fight him. How dumb can you get and still walk? I want to bring it to the New Testament for just a minute and then I'll finish up. best place to start is to look at Jesus himself. And we can look at Peter, John, Paul quickly. How did their lives end? This can be a little sobering, folks, but I, we live in a time when every conference is about God making you rich and, and or healing. <laughs> and those are wonderful things. But they're just part of your inheritance and who you are and really your responsibilities in Christ. Amen? Jesus, of course, was unique, wasn't he? He was perfect. The sinless son of God. He never experienced any failure. He was a total success. But his life ended hanging naked on a cross. Didn't it? Exposed to mocking sinners. And you know, that was the last the world ever saw of Jesus. I mean, his resurrection and the events... And all the glory that followed for the next 50 days was only revealed to witnesses chosen beforehand by God. People who already believed in Him. You realize that? Acts 10.41 says, He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. What's the significance of that? As far as the world was concerned, God never felt like he needed to set the record straight with them. He doesn't have to prove himself to a corrupt world. If it were you and I, we'd be like, oh man, watch this. But God doesn't feel like he has to prove anything to anybody. He's God. He's awesome. What about Peter? The leader of the twelve apostles. According to history, Peter ended his life on a cross upside down. He asked to be crucified that way. And I've read that it was alongside his wife. Because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. So they put him upside down at his request. We don't really know how John died, but we know when he was old, he was sent off 
banished to the island of Patmos, which was not a luxury island. It was a rocky, craggy, desolate place. And that's where he received the vision, the revelation of Jesus. Paul. We have Paul's own record of what happened to him and how he and his fellow apostles lived. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. To this very hour, these are Paul's words, to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We are brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Finally, after a powerful, miraculous ministry that opened up to the Gentile world, the gospel, Paul ended his life in chains in a cold Roman dungeon, forsaken by some of his closest friends and co-workers, and from there he was taken out and publicly executed. He was beheaded. So, do these accounts of Jesus and Peter and John and Paul mean that all true Christians are going to have to die a martyr's death? Or that no committed Christian could ever be wealthy? Absolutely not. It's God's desire that we be in good health and prosper even as our souls prosper. Isn't that what the word says there, John 2? God delights in the prosperity of his servants, doesn't he? So I'm not throwing the baby out with the bath water. I just want you to have the whole... We have to eat the whole scroll, as it says in the word. Amen? Their stories do enforce a very important point, though. We can never let the world entice us to accepting its standard of success. That's the point. We're not supposed to seek the world's approval. One of the things that helped me the most in my early years as a minister was one of the ministries that I had to leave that God told me to leave and I knew it. One thing I had learned from one of their teachers was if God, if you ever know that God is telling you a thing, you don't consult with flesh and blood. And so when he told me to leave there, I did. And of course, they all told me, no, that's not God. And they put me in hell for leaving. But I said, no, I'm not consulting with flesh and blood on this one. Because I knew what God had told me and I learned to hear his voice very well. And so that helped me. We're not supposed to seek the world's approval. The fear of man brings a snare of the devil. Mm Mm-hmm. The desire for popularity is always dangerous, folks. Everyone wants to be loved. God is love, and we want to be loved and accepted. There's nothing unusual about that. Or It doesn't mean if any time somebody gives you a compliment, you're supposed to run the other direction. No. You need to balance this out, okay? God is not unrealistic or unreasonable. And He loves you. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to prosper in every way. But he also wants to be first in your life. And he wants you to be kingdom minded instead of worldly minded. Jesus gave us some strong warnings about this popularity in the world. He told those Pharisees, he said, For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Didn't he? Luke sixteen fifteen, He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And then Jesus told his own disciples in Luke 6, 26. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For this is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So what's the key to true success? What's the point of all this? 
True success in God's eyes, of course, is what we're talking about. Get all you can and can all you get and sit on your can. No. <laughs> if you consider those five kings we talked about from the Old Covenant along with Jesus and His disciples, what's the key? What's the difference in the ones who failed and the ones who succeeded? 1 Corinthians 7.25, Paul says, I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. Matthew 22.14, For many are called, but few are chosen. You know why few are chosen? Because few are faithful. Not because it's God's will. It's because few are faithful. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. We want God to be able to, to trust us like, like we put our trust in Him, don't we? And to be faithful, I must be totally dependent upon the Lord's mercy. You see in those other kings as I'm telling you these things and comparing this to what I'm talking about, were they always dependent upon God's mercy? If you're really dependent upon God's mercy, it'll become evident. We can't rely on anything else. We can't take credit for anything good. <laughs> God's precious people, I'm trying to tell you something. We can't rely on our own educational background. The Bible says we glory in our shame sometimes. What it means is we're trying to take credit for the gifts and talents and the success that God gives us. And you see all the warnings and all the terrible repercussions from doing just that. And all these stories in the Bible. We can't rely on our educational background. We can't rely on our spiritual gifts. We can't rely on our past achievements or our years in Christian service. There's only one thing that can keep me faithful. That is the mercy of God. Amen. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's good news. We have to make it the central purpose of our lives to be consciously and continually dependent upon God's mercy. And He is faithful. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. Let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace with confidence. This is one of those let us's that I was telling you about from the book of Hebrews. I just want to preach on those all the time. Let us there... I'll find ways to slip them in. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy... And find grace to help us in the time of need. So let us, let us always, continually, obsessively draw near to the throne of grace. Let us come humbly, but with confidence. With great respect and admiration, but, but confidently, because He's our Father who loves us. Yes. Not for justice. And not because of our own merits, but acknowledging our need for mercy and grace. Yes. Because that's what we go to the throne of grace for. He's the king of the universe. And because he invites us, we can come with confidence. There's always help there when we humbly seek his mercy and grace. We have to be on our guard against anything that would blur or dull our senses of dependence upon Him and His mercy. Particularly, we have to be watchful of any form of pride. Pride is like an onion, folks. It has lots of different layers. And we'll readily shed some of them 
when we come to the Lord and we begin to grow in Him. But there are layers as you, you know how you get down to when the onion gets a little smaller, those layers are a little bit harder. <laughs> we hang on to them a little tighter and we'll start calling them something different so that we don't have to admit what it is and get rid of it. We have lots of ways of trying to protect the things that we don't want God to have. Huh? <laughs> See that picture of that little girl. Said, but I really like this. I really like this. And he's got this giant teddy bear behind his back. He goes, I know, but I have something better for you. You see? <laughs> if it's... Uh, if it's not total dependence on God, then it's off. We're off a little bit. We have to, we have to, it says examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Amen? And that's not a bad thing to do. I mean, we don't want to get so introspective that we forget to magnify the Lord. Because it can really do some reverse things on you. But you still need to do, when you're reading that Bible, John, it needs to be reading you, right? Yeah. And if you allow it, then you'll grow. It'll be effortless change in your life. And it'll be good stuff. But you say, well, I I do. I I think I'm good. I I fully depend on God. Really? (laughs) You seek God and agree with Him for your health? You say what He says and you don't agree with the doctors and you... And you don't stop short of ever casting down those words that are spoken against you and saying what God says instead. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying, are we really there? In your marriage, do you search the Scriptures to find out what your spouse should be or what you should be in that marriage? Because i tell you how God wants you to do it. He wants you to look at you and be the best spouse you can be. Do you seek God for your finances, for your relationships, your gifts and calling to Him? If you do, then you're well on your way to true success. If not, you're still struggling with rebellion. And we know that God sees rebellion as wicked as witchcraft. And again... I'm not condemning anyone. There's always forgiveness available to us. Jesus has paid the price for it all. Why does God hate rebellion? Why do we need to even talk about it? Instead of just, can't you just tell me how rich he wants to make me and how healthy I'm? I hope you already know that. Those things are already part of your inheritance just as much as the forgiveness of your sins. And I talk about it all the time. But I'm telling you the negative things because when God hates something and He doesn't want you to do it or have it or be a part of it, it's for your own good. It's because it's not of Him. And what it does, it opens doors for the enemy to come into areas of your life and He'll eat your lunch and pop the bag. And God wants you free of all that. The enemy wants you dead. God loves you. And He he wants you to live a beautiful Christ-centered life where He can protect you and bless you and use you. The fact is, you're already blessed, but He wants you... He wants all those devil doors closed. That's it. He, He wants full access to you and you to Him. He doesn't want you to do anything that will hinder that. He's not going to do anything to hinder that. It's all you. A lot of people don't like to hear that. It's too hard. Oh, it's too hard. I'd rather know I have a part to play if there's something wrong. I'd rather know that God's always good. God's always wanting to bless me. God's blessing has already been spoken over me. I've already been forgiven. I've already been blessed. I've already been prospered. I've already been healed. Now, where's the problem? Okay, say what God says. Don't agree with what the what the bank says, what the doctor says, what the the negative reports about this or that, or what the you know when they when they curse me, I'll bless them, I forgive them, I forgive them quickly. I'm going to choose love. These things are not rocket science. 
But when you feel like you're losing what you might look like on a temporary basis, sometimes you'll just do it your own way. And then, guess what? You get to take the test again. <laughs> then, guess what? You've opened doors for the enemy. And then you go, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? Well, I have spiritual laws in place for your benefit. And you're not taking advantage of them. You've got yourself out of position. You're not cooperating with all the things that I have in place to bless you and protect you. And I want you to, is what he's saying. What else brings total success? And I'm done. Here are the words of Jesus. John 4.34 My food, he said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus' food, the source of his life and strength, was his single-minded determination to do God's will right through to the very end of his life. That is the true success you and I really need to aim for. Are you in? <laughs> Me too. Are you willing to let him help you get there? We all need help. All you got to do is ask. You have not because you ask not. God bless you all. I love you. And I pray that this message has helped you. Don't let the enemy steal it from you, okay? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for teaching us, growing us in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your mercy, Lord, and your grace. Thank you that we are your precious children. You love us. You adore us. And we can run boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find favor in the time of need. And when we come to you, Lord, we, we come humbly. We come humbly because we recognize who you are and what you are and that there's no good thing in us apart from you. And the only thing that entitles us to be there is your amazing gift, your unspeakable gift the precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you so much for everything you are, everything you've done, everything you continue to do. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust you completely. And we want to we do better to earn your trust, Lord. We want to give you all the glory and all the honor. We're going to forget about our own ego and our own plan, our own will and our own ways. We're going to choose your will and your ways. And we thank you for helping us with this every step of the way, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.